Matt Long, welcome to the Compete Everyday Podcast. How are you? Excellent, Jake. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You bet. You bet. Looking forward to this. We obviously were connected from a mutual friend, Matthew Del Negro, at the 10,000 Nose Podcast. Uh, great guy. We both had the opportunity to be on his show. Matt's been on our show as well. Uh, and so anyone he speaks highly of, I know our guests are in for quite a treat. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself now, what you do today, and then, man, I'm excited to dive into this very interesting journey you have. Uh, well, right now, I'm a, I'm a dad of uh, three girls. I have uh, two teenage girls, which drive me crazy, and, and a seven-year-old who is working on being a teenager too early. Um, <laughs> I... Uh, I am a retired New York City firefighter. I uh, spent 17 years in ladder company 4-3 in Spanish Harlem. And uh, right now I am uh, the owner and coach at some Orange Theory Fitness Studios uh, in Connecticut. So I'm curious, how, how did you get into Orange Theory Fitness? I, I have two partners, female partners. Uh, and the, long, the short of the story is that my one partner, Tara Costa, she was the finalist on the show, The Biggest Loser, season five. Um, we, we were friends through Ironman Triathlon, and she sent me an email saying, hey, what do you know about these areas in Queens, New York, where I live? And she's like, I'm thinking about getting into a business, my next phase of life, and I just wanna know about these territories. So she sent me a list of territories, and I was like, oh, okay. But, you know, we, we, we were friendly, but we weren't, like she wasn't the person I'd call for advice. She wouldn't call me for advice, but I'm like, okay. So I looked deeper into it as I was telling her, like, I'd right, stay away from here, stay away from here. There's not enough people here, not enough income here, blah, blah, blah. My opinion, I didn't know it was Orange Theory. I blew up the picture she sent me and on the bottom it said Orange, Orange Theory Fitness. So I was in the fitness business in Rockaway. I worked in a couple of small boutique uh, fitness places here. And so my text to her after was, hey, by the way, you know, how dare you send me a, a list of places and my neighborhood being one where you're going to open an Orange Theory Fitness. I said, without asking me to come in. And um, a couple months went by. She had lost the opportunity in the local market where I am. And she had an opportunity to go to Connecticut and ask me if I would be involved. So I said yes immediately. What? What, uh, being involved in that, that's such a, a dynamic, not only workout experience, but their community. That's one of the things they've done really well on a location basis. One of the members, former members of our team has been a trainer, which with orange theory for a few years after, uh, leaving the CrossFit mm -hmm. space. What's one of the things that draw that I guess keeps you coming back that you love most about that style? Well, for me personally, what I want and, and I want to tell you, I said yes to her. And I had never stepped in an Orange Theory Fitness gym. So That's I trust. My, yes. <laughs> I, I took my first Orange Theory class when we were down in Florida being trained to, to, to be a corporate owner. Okay. Uh, a franchisee. So um, what I was drawn to for Orange Theory was the heart rate-based training. I, I have a background of marathon in and, and triathlon, long course, not – Look, if you want to go hard, you can go hard for 30 minutes. Anyone can go hard for 30 minutes and feel like crap afterwards. Yep. But when you want to go for 26.2 or 140.6, you need to focus. You need some kind of training measurement, whether it's power or heart rate. I trained by heart rate. Power wasn't as popular back then. I'm a little older. So I really was fascinated with 
how the response to the heart can help you in your fitness journey. And that's what Orange Theory does really well on the fitness side. On the community-based side, what I think they do really well, and it varies from studio to studio, but the, 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 it doesn't take long before the members in the 930 class are now not members, they're a freaking tribe. And they're making t-shirts and they're doing that what else and they're meeting for happy hour and they're, they're helping each other with problems it, it is the, the community bonding blew me away blew me away but that's what i love about it i love that i love and that's you know it's funny we uh, we've been talking recently obviously you and i are chatting right now it's late april everyone's still at the stay-at-home mandates quarantine and so the community aspect is is one of the things that you just don't get in your garage you know, you go out, you get a workout, but you miss your people. And yeah. so, you know, we talked about that yesterday. We've got a group that's talked about social distancing, meeting up at a park, spreading out and just saying, hey, everybody do your thing. Uh, but we just want to see you. We want to we want to be able to see yeah. you because we love that community. And, and that's that's the one thing that I think is so unique about Compete here is is we have this great community of people that are all interested in helping each other. They're helping each other succeed, which you have quite the story in terms of a competitor mindset, which is what I enjoy about just not only overcoming accident, but I mean, gosh, from a fitness standpoint, you talked about the long endurance ones, man. Those are, those are mentally struggles. And so you wrote a book, the long run about your story, about your journey back from, from this adversity. And so I'd love for you to share a little bit with our audience, the backstory about that. And then I want to talk to you about that book writing process, the story, getting it out there and what it's been like since you've been able to share that more. All right. Well, my backstory is, uh, you know, I'm one of nine children. So uh, you have to compete every day in my house. Okay. You have to. Otherwise, you're not eating or you're not getting, you know, the last scoop of ice cream, whatever it is, you're not getting. Um, so the competitive nature runs deep in, in my bloodline. Uh, I was a high school basketball player, and that's the only sport I had my eyes on when I was young. Uh, dreamed to play college ball, and I, I wasn't nearly good enough to play. Could I have found, could I have found a Division three school maybe that, to go to and, and play? Yes. But I went to Iona College up in New Rochelle, yep. Division One program, and um, you know, I, I just I, I think it's important that I talk about this because uh, persistence is one of the words I, I would use to describe me. And I had this dream to play college ball. I, I didn't get any minutes as a varsity player in high school, and I I walked on Iona College's team. I tried out four years straight, and then my senior year, the coach took me as a walk on. So, what what made you keep getting up, keep going back year after year after year? You know, the tenacity and and the the fulfillment factor of that dream. It, it wasn't just a daydream. This is something that I thought about since I was a kid, like like seven, eight, nine years old, playing around in the backyard. You know, when you could just take the shot and go three, two, one. Oh, and then you go, oh, wait a minute, hold on, time out. I was fouled, I was fouled. And you could reset the clock. This wasn't like that. This was something I thought about day in, day out, all throughout high school, you know, and I, I had to live it. You know, I had to go out and try. And after I tried my first year, my second year, like the third year, my friends, my really good friends in college, my college roommate was like, hey, try out to them more. And I'm like, oh, you're right. I said, I got to get going now. You know, I, I worked on my game a bit, but obviously, you know, not 
I'm not six eight. I'm six foot tall at best. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think I made the team. I would like to say I think I made the team because I was persistent. The coach said, this guy has been here four years. But I tried out three years straight for one coach. He left. And my senior year was a brand-new coach who came from Notre Dame, Gary Brokaw. And in his announcement of tryouts, he said, he doesn't want to walk on. I was like, oh, great. But I did it. I went through what he called his walk-on, his tryout process. It lasted two weeks. And uh, there was 24 guys that showed up. And at the end of the two weeks, there was only two guys left. So what, let me ask you this. Once, um, and, and mainly from the pursuit of a dream that doesn't initially go as planned, every time you would go try out and you would get rejected, you would face that failure. What was your approach to the next 12 months? How did you look at or how did you determine what you needed to do to improve? You know, I got to tell you the truth is every time I got cut, this is what went down. Coach tapped me on the shoulder and said, Matt, thanks for coming out. Better luck next year. And rather than putting my head down and walk out of that gym, I turned around and said, Coach, outside of growing six to 10 inches, which is not going to happen, what can I do to improve myself that I may get the chance to live this dream of playing college ball? Every time I got cut, that's what I asked. And did I go out every day? I'm in college. Did I go out at home and write down my and, and start pounding the ball and doing drills? No, I didn't do that. Um, but did I get involved in games, pick up games, summer leagues? Did I keep playing ball, keep honing my skills? And, and by the way, when I say I walked on the team, I walked on. I, I was a 2020 man. Do you know what that is? I don't. Up 20, down 20, chance I was getting in the game. so you know i say i played college ball there's a photo of me in my yearbook in 1989 playing college ball but i I only got in a a very select games (laughs) oh man i i can appreciate that because you know for a lot of times we hear the sports stories of you know you get cut once you go back, you make it the next year. And, and you continually, it was year after year after year. And then, you know, you, you had that opportunity as a walk-on. And it, it might not have ended in the game-winning shot to go to the NCAA tournament, but it sounds like it's an experience that obviously has stuck with you. Um, and it's one I, I can appreciate because the mentality that you built during the course of that process, or I should say strengthened that muscle during the course of that process – has paid dividends in other areas of your life. I have a friend who happens, if he listens, Jonathan Hawley, failed to get in dental school six years in a row. And his seventh year, he got in. And it's that similar story of keep working. How can I keep improving? And you know what? It may not work out the way you thought. Maybe you get in, maybe you make the team, but man, that muscle is suddenly primed for anything else life is going to throw at you, which life has inevitably thrown at you quite a few challenges and curveballs. Yeah, I, I agree. It, 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 call it muscle memory. We call it whatever you want to you know, call it. But I, I was persistent uh, to fulfill that dream. And you know what happened? I didn't have it. I, I can't go around talking about my college career. I can't. I scored one point. As, you know, I got on the foul line. I scored one point. I'm hey, you're in the record book, so. I, I'm in the book. I'm in the book. But, I, you know, I can't. I don't have the story career that I can talk about. However, Graduating college, 
I come home back to Brooklyn where I lived and they're like, oh, the guy played for Iona. You want to play on a summer league team? And now you're on a summer league team in this men's league and you're playing ball. I become a New York City firefighter and they go, you played for Iona? We have a travel team. I traveled the world with the New York City Fire Department playing basketball. If I had quit, the, forget about the first or second. If I had not gone for that fourth work tryout, I'm not in Australia playing basketball. I'm not in New Zealand. I'm not in Canada, in, 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 the, in the Midwest. I went to every police fire Olympic games and they're huge. They're, they're as big as the Olympics, every sport you can imagine. And I'm playing basketball against former European pros, college basketball players in, in, in America. So my basketball career didn't end after that tryout. It started. Love it. Love it. So what, so let's transition after college. You, you became a firefighter. Yep. What, what inspired going into that line of service? Well, my dad, um, you know, he always, my dad had a small business. He owned an ice cream parlor when I grew, was growing up. And um, he was always talking to us about having a plan and, and, and you know, making sure you have a backup. And I know some people like to go around talking about no plan B. I'm going to forge ahead with plan A. But he talked to me and my brother, Jim. There's seven boys, two girls. Me and my brother, Jim, are only about um, 12, 13 months apart. And he's like, look, you guys are going to college. You're going to come out. What do you want to do? And I was like, I, I think I'm going to go to Wall Street. He's like, okay, what's your backup plan? And I said, uh, I'm going to go to Wall Street. And he's like, listen, your brother wants to be a firefighter. He's going to take the cop test. He's going to take the fire test. He's going to take the sanitation test, see where it works, where it goes with him. Why don't you take some tests with him? And I was like, ah, I don't see myself being a police officer. I'm definitely not going to be a sanitation worker. I said, I'll take the fire department test. Is that okay for my backup plan? And he said, perfect. So we trained together the physical exam, you know, studied for the written exam. And um, I wound up edging him out list number wise. Our score was relatively the same of 18, um, 1800 to, or more. So I was about 700 people in front of him on the list and I got hired first. And guess what? I wasn't on wall street. I had been let go from my accounting job and I got a letter in the mail saying, welcome to the New York city fire department. And I looked at my dad and said, thank you. A backup plan obviously changed your career and obviously life because you just shared about basketball and everything else. It opened the door for you to do. And then life changed in 2005 pretty dramatically for you. Yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm a, I was at, at the time, I was training for my Ironman uh, race in Lake Placid. And I went to the, on a detail to the fire academy on Randall's Island, which is the tip of Manhattan. And um, big strike in, Manhattan, in, in New York City. All the buses and uh, transit authority went on strike. And the only way for me to get from home to work was on bike. So I'm like, all right, great. I'm commuting to work. I'm training. I'm riding my bike. And, uh, you know, I got about three or four blocks from where I lived. And, and um, a private bus had turned. Uh, down a one-way uh, wrong, you know, turned from the left side of the street to a to the right, and just took me underneath. I was crushed by a forty-thousand-pound bus, and uh, bleeding to death on the street. Well, obviously, you you just left me there ha hanging on a, a cliffhanger because <laughs> I, we're still talking. So that was not the end of your story. 
<laughs> no, it wasn't. I'm here in the flesh. So let me just go. I'll, I'll summarize the, the, the events. But after that day, I spent uh, six or seven weeks in a coma, five months in the hospital, had 42 different surgeries. Um, my doctor said I lost 68 units of blood in the first 10 or 11 hours. And the one thing that kept me alive was the condition I was in. So, you know, when I go around to talk about my journey, I talk about a slogan we have at the fire academy up on the wall in the, in, in, in the gym. It says, train for life. And now in, in the fire service, okay, we're training to save someone's life. I wasn't training for Boston to run the Boston Marathon. I wasn't training for an Ironman. I was training for my life. And all that training is what put my lungs and my heart, in the only organs that weren't hurt, into a, such good physical condition that I was able to survive that level of insult is what my doctors call it. Wow. There's so many different things I, I could ask you about here. I think one of the ones that would be incredibly helpful for our audience, our audience that we've talked about a few times on the show, not to the degree you have, is how much recovery from something, injury, devastation, is more mental than physical. From the fact that it takes your body a while to return to doing some of the things you could do. And mentally, that's a beating because you're like, I used to be able to do this. And a lot of people just give up. Like they don't even attempt to get back to that level because they're in their heads, it's too frustrating. They built too much, they can't get there. What was the mental process like for you coming back from a near death experience? So, not only do you have probably a renewed perspective on life, but then it's just getting your body and everything to start working the way it had as, as a top performing type athlete. You, you know, I can take that two ways. First of all, I, mental, I, I can't even say that it's less than 100%. The mental aspect of recovery, the mental aspect of, of training, 85, 90, 95% of it. You, you, if you're me that mentally focused and zoned in and you have 5% talent, I take you any day on my team. If you've got 95% talent and 5% mentally you're checked out, I don't want you. Okay. So mentally is, it, it is the entire package of recovery in two aspects. One, I had to let go of anger. And two, you have to let go of the pity. Why me? Okay. And, and, and the last is you have to accept your new body, your, your new uh, capabilities. So and when I talk to people who, and I try my best to help people that reach out to me and say, Hey, I was in an accident. I read your story. If you have a moment, I, I, no problem. Email, call, talk to people. And I right off the bat, it's like, are you ready to talk? And if you're ready to talk, then you're ready to say, I'm not angry with whoever or whatever happened. So for me, it was a bus driver. For someone else, it could be a, a, a vehicle, you know, car or a truck or whatever. But for me, it was the bus driver. And as soon as I let go of the anger of that, from that bus driver or towards that bus driver, mental process of healing started. So mentally, the mental process is huge. The mental portion of it is just blown, blows you away. How did you teach yourself to forgive someone like that? I don't know. Um, 
I had, I had a great support team around me and it, it, it's not like it came in stages. It, it happened when, when, with a moment with my mom. Okay. Yep. And I was angry and I was, uh, I had pity parties. I, I often ask myself, not why did I get hit, but why did I live? And I couldn't find those answers. And one day with my mom, and I talk about it in the book, um, she says to me, enough's enough. You know, I'm out of the hospital now. Um, I, I was 178, best shape of my life at 39 years old. Now I'm out of the hospital about two months. So it's seven or eight months post-accident. I'm 122. And I'm spending 90% of my time in a wheelchair because I have no strength, can't walk, whatever. And I say to my mom, you know, I don't understand why you prayed for me to live. You should have prayed for me to die. And she was fed up. She said, that's enough. There's so many other people in this world that are suffering more than you, if you could believe it or not. And that started to sink in. I started to realize, you know what? I watch stories all the time about athletes who lose limbs and vets come home from the war losing multiple limbs. I mean, she's right. I'm intact. I'm all together. And uh, that started the process. And then, and, and then I had no time. It, I just mentally looked at him like this. I have no time to be angry because I want to get better. And that's when that, that moment didn't happen in a day, but that moment over two, three weeks, maybe a month's time, everything started to look, I looked at everything differently. I went to the gym differently. I went to PT differently. Let's go. I remember, Oh, I got PT today. And my friend Lou, my brother would drive me to PT and I'd sit there and talk to the therapist and go move my leg. After that moment, once, once, once it realized and I let go of anger, I went to PT and I said to the girl who's my therapist, I said, no, no, let's do more. She's like, what? We always do 10. I go, we could do 12. Let's do 12 today. And then the same thing happened when I went to the gym. I asked, I said, no problem asking an older trainer to help me. I can't put the five pound plate in the Nautilus machine. I can't put the pin in. Can you help me? No problem. And then it just came back. So, uh, and one of the things you just talked about there that I think could get overlooked or missed is you were willing to ask for help because you just cared about getting better. Like that is, is such a key because for a lot of us, sometimes we let our pride, we let our ego, we let what we used to do get in the way of asking others for help. When in reality, if we truly cared about getting better, if we were committed to ourselves, we would ask for help because we care about where we're trying to go, what we're trying to do more than looking like we can't do it all right here in the moment. Yeah. No, uh, yeah. You, that's nailed it right on the head. There is, is correct. I, and, and there was times when it was, um, I was embarrassed to ask for help because I remember going to New York sports where I used to work out and I used to always had a good relationship with this older trainer, Ed. I would say, Hey Ed, how you doing? And we'd chat and I'd walk around, lift my weights, take a spin class, do what I'm going to do. And, um, and now I had to walk in there and say, can you help me? I can't get in and out of the machines. And it took time. But once I finally asked him, he said to me, Fada, I said, why didn't you ask me sooner? And I said, my ego. And with him helping me, notebook came out, started journaling what I was doing, started seeing progress. And sooner or later, I said, Ed, I got this. How, uh, how are you using journaling now? Are you still active? I, oh, yeah, I'm still active. Um, thank, everything's kind of digital now. So I have my yeah. training logs that I use uh, from different apps. Um, 
Uh, I'm, I'm type of personality that has to have an event to look forward to. Uh, to I, have some, I have to have something to train for. So I, do I like going to the gym and exercising? Absolutely. But, but there has to be an end game for me. So, um, you know, back basketball, um, marathoning. I wanted to qualify for Boston. Once I did that, I wanted to become an Ironman. I wanted to go to Hawaii. So I always had an end game. Um, now, obviously, I, I don't run anymore at all. It's just my my gait is so off that it's just not good for my body. Yep. If I run three miles, I'm in bed for three days. And I can't afford to be in bed for three days now. So I got involved in indoor rowing. I'll say your, your social media lists quite a few rowing splits on there too. <laughs> um, I, I row and I post. So that's my journal right there. I post every row. And, you know, I was listening to a, a, a one of your podcasts um, when I was rowing before. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes I get crap from my family. Like, Oh, why don't you stop posting? You post too much. You know? And I'm like, and you know what? I just posted a, a a, 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 you know, easy 10K that I did. It just a 10,000 10, meter row took me 42 minutes. It was just the easy aerobic row. And I got three DMs from people saying, thank you. Because I know what you went through and I'm struggling right now. And you just got me out into my backyard and I went out and ran five miles or I went out and rode my bike or got me in the gym. So you never know who you're going to inspire. So you I never did, know. And I post. Yeah, so I post, and if there's someone wants to hate, hate. But I you post. obviously you've got the. It sounds like the mindset and attitude that you care more about helping and inspiring others than you do listening to them. Which is goes back to the idea of putting pride alone. It's it's not about looking perfect or being popular. It's about how can you make that impact. So Matt, what? nowadays you're speaking, you're working with people on overcoming adversity. You've got a foundation, the I will foundation. What does life look like now? How are you continuing to get this message out? And more importantly, I'm interested in just how you're sharing your mindset because the grit, the resilience, all that that you use for your journey is applicable for anyone listening and anyone that you could come across because I mean, let's look at the time we're in right now. It's all about yeah. the mindset you've got in the midst of this. Yeah. You know, right now with what's happening now, I, I think the biggest thing for people to have is hope. If you take hope away from someone, then, then what else really do you have? You know, hope is a foundation. And everyone, I read something recently and I, I really hit me is that so, so people keep saying, we're all doing this together. We're all in this together. And we are, we're in the same storm or in the same ocean of rough seas, but we all have different boats. Yep. So uh, I read that and I was like, wow, that's so, that's so true. It's like, all right, I'm making, I'm having a, a, a portion of my life where I'll talk to people and say, look, keep hope alive, keep your faith, whether it's God or whoever you believe in or, or, or look to for, for, for solace. You got to keep that alive to move forward. And then on the other side, I'm doing things that I've never done before. I, I I'm, I'm videoing myself making margaritas on Friday night and cheering my, whoever follows me. And, and I'm getting DMs like, thank you. I needed that. And I'm like, who thought? Like, so I'm doing things that I never did before. My personality, because I don't have that social contact is through Instagram TV and I'm making a margarita and doing different flavors with people. And then the other side is I'm trying to tell people to stay, stay hopeful. Um, God doesn't give us things. Now, I, I believe in God, so I'll say it that way. God doesn't give us things we can't handle. 
I got hit by that bus because he knew I'd survive and I would help someone that maybe couldn't or handle the struggle they were handled. Handed. So I believe in it. The bus gave me purpose. You know, and, and, and when I talk to Matt and the people like that, I could, I could, we could have six podcasts. 9-11, I got hit by a bus. After the bus, I got run over by a car. After that, my house burned down in Super Sun Sandy. I lost everything I owned. So here we are with coronavirus. I'm like, what, what else? What else can, can I live through? Um, but I have hope. And with that, that with, with, with hope, I'm, I'm alive. And this is going to go away. Your attitude alone is, is very inspiring. Thank and you. I, love, I love that approach. Uh, I myself am very much faith-driven as well. Um, we don't talk a ton about it here on the podcast, but I think regardless of whether you believe in God, a higher power, or, or nothing, I think the approach that or the mindset perspective, we should say that I was given this challenge to show others it could be overcome is the trait of a leader. It's the trait of, of someone that other people want to follow because there's a lot of people that are right now going to complain about their circumstances. And I had the, the fortune to talk to someone just last week who had lost their job due to COVID. And I just kind of wanted to check on them and they said, you know what? It sucks but I'm going to find a way I'm going to take a part-time job here and we're going to do what we need to, to get through it. Cause I want to show other people, I don't have to be a victim of my circumstance. And I was just like, wow, like those are the type of conversations people need to have. Those are the conversations competitors need to have regardless of what you believe in terms of a higher power. Do you see this as an opportunity to inspire and lead others or once possible or just succumb to the circumstance. And so I appreciate you sharing the story of an, uh, obviously a near death experience of being able to say that I'm using this, I'm looking at this as how can I help and inspire others to keep going through their situation. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, you bet. All right. So the magic question, Matt, is obviously our listeners are going to be inspired by this talk. They want to learn more about you. They want to follow this rowing for the ones that are, I'm going to say the crazy ones like yourself that love that time on the rower, uh, where they can follow along with your splits, try to keep up, have some friendly competition. Where can we best get connected with you uh, online as well as your website? So, uh, Instagram and Twitter, I'm um, 43long underscore Matt. And if you see a bunch of rowing PM5 video screens, then it's me. You're in the right um, place. I have uh, my website's mattlongspeaker.com, and there's a, a link to my foundation there. Um, you know, and and that's me. That, you know, that's where you can find me. And if you DM me, I, I try to respond to everyone. Uh, I've gotten more hardship stories written to me over the last 15 years than I'd like, but that's the journey my life has taken me, and, and I, I look forward to them, and I look forward to trying to help people. I love that. I love that. Not at all upset. You hate to hear other people's hardships, but you're happy to have those conversations and share your story as well as find a way to help them. Matt, man, thank you so much for making some time today to spend with us on the Compete Podcast. You're welcome. Thanks, Jake.